you like Grant Fisher, I told him I'd give this shout out, but he just came out with a new podcast called The Half Step Pod. He's doing it with a former teammate of his, Connor Lane, and a really good listen behind the scenes action of what it's like to be a professional. everyone and welcome back to another episode of the half step pod i am your co-host connor lane and across from me via zoom now back in park city after his race this weekend grant fisher grant how you doing man doing well uh what's up you guys yeah back in park city now um happy to be back it was nice to drop down to sea level for a bit but um nice to be back in routine up here i pretty much live up here now like it almost feels full time uh just because We've been up here for a month and a half already, and we've got another month to go. So, uh, and then longer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's bordering on permanent residence at this point. Yeah, gotta change your mailing address for everything. Yeah, exactly. I uh, so yeah, down down in LA for the uh, for the weekend here. You got in on Thursday. Uh, did you guys do like a little pre meet workout in preparation for the race Saturday? Uh, yeah. So we worked out on. Um, on Tuesday, I think we talked about it in, in a previous episode, um, had a, you know, a solid workout. Um, definitely didn't take our foot off the gas too much on that one. And then pretty much full volume. Um, we flew down on, uh, I believe it was Thursday night, um, for the Saturday race. Usually we drop down, um, 24 hours to 48 hours before a race, um, to, to get down there and did pre-meet on Friday at a, a local college um, with, you know, the, the whole field of, you know, jumpers, sprinters, throwers, uh, distance runners. Um, so that was cool, kind of getting back into that race pre-meet environment. Um, yeah, I, I've had some questions about pre-meet stuff. It's, it's very individual on my team. Everyone does different stuff. Um, it's kind of whatever you need to feel good and, like, be ready for the next day. Yeah. So like personally, I like to do my normal warm up and drills that I would do before a race that I also do before uh, a workout and then uh, strides. And honestly, I mix up the stride distance and quantity pretty much every time. It's just kind of what I'm feeling, just what I'm feeling to, to feel good to go. So if that's what you do, what do some of the other guys do? Or do you even pay attention to it while they're going through? Um, some of the other guys on my team have more set routines. Um, some guys will like to do like four times a hundred, uh, like basically ins and outs or strides and then spike up and do like 50, 100, 150, uh, like at race pace or something, you know, getting splits and everything, just trying to feel that race pace again. Um, usually my stuff revolves around, uh, like three or four hundred meter strides and trainers just to, to get warmed up and stuff and then spike up and uh, do like some hundreds or one fifties at race pace. And then like some short acceleration. So less than a hundred meters, just kind of flushing the legs out. Um, sometimes after travel, you feel kind of flat, uh, especially if you're flying places. So um, sometimes it feels good just to feel that, that acceleration, that power again. Um, it's not necessarily top end speed, but feel, 
you know, quick and fast. I, I think those are more of a psychological thing for me. That's why I do them. Um, but yeah, everyone's different. Some people just do their strides and trainers and they're set. Um, you know, there's varying distances. People like to run beforehand and to cool down. And um, I like to cool down a little bit. Some guys don't like to. They just kind of like to finish the strides and let that sit in their legs. Uh, be, that be like the last thing your body feels uh, before the race the next day. So it's it's variable and it, it's very interesting when you're there doing pre-meet with your competitors too. I feel like everyone's always looking around, you know, sizing people up. How do they look? You know, what are they doing? They just did a 200. Should I do a 200? Did, you know, oh, like stuff classic. like that. <laughs> yeah, this is what that person did. Do I need to do that? Yeah, you start questioning a bit, but, you know, just staying true to what works for you and focusing on yourself out there is, is helpful. No, I think that that's, I think it's interesting. A couple of things you said there. First of all, I feel like where that like copycat syndrome is most prevalent is on stretches more than like an actual distance of a stride. I feel like I'll see someone doing like a hip stretch and be like, Oh man, my hip is kind of tight. And then do like <laughs> the same stretch, like a couple minutes later. Cause you know, like we all know the same stretches. It's just, Oh man, I, I really probably should do an extra one of those or whatever, which probably isn't a great idea. But at the same time, I doubt it does much. Cause that's the other thing you said, like, yeah, you do these less than a hundred meter stride outs and you think it might just be a psychological thing, you know, more than, I feel like some people would say pretty much all of pre-meet generally is a psychological thing. Um, just a lot of the workouts we do on like a Tuesday, Friday basis, we don't pre-meet on that Monday, Thursday, but oftentimes can be really hard. And yeah, I feel like people have their set routines cause it helps them, but also you could, if you have the fitness and you've been training, as long as you kind of recovered those couple of days before the meet, I imagine you could do a lot of different things and still get the same results. So it's not saying you should change anything though. Cause again, there, there is a real benefit to mentally doing what makes you comfortable, but it is just interesting to think about. I, that's why, I mean, everyone can do a different pre-meet and everyone seems to still have like preparation for the race that they need. Right. Totally. Yeah. And I mean that I'll only speak on my experience with, with Bowerman, but you know, even before workouts, we all have slightly different routines. Um, we all warm up the same distance, but people like to do different drills. Like I like to do a skip, B skip stuff and, um, different, you know, drills like that. And other people like to do more stretching, uh, dynamic stretching, and then different length strides. It just depends. Um, and like, I feel like that's a nice thing about being a pro to some degree, like, you know, your body, you know, what you need, you know, what needs warming up, you know, like problem areas that you've had in the past that you want to make sure are firing properly before you do any strides or, or hit the first rep of the workout. Um, similar thing applies. Uh, you know, if your teammates doing one thing, maybe they need to warm up their hamstrings more than you. And maybe you need to warm up your calves more than them. It, you know, you, you got to individualize it a little bit. Uh, and same goes for pre-meet and same goes for pre-meet workout or sorry, pre-meet warmup. Uh, when you're warming up for the actual race, uh, it's easy to look around and see all these different drills and stuff and be like, they know something I don't know, you know, but yeah, yeah. So sa same goes for every aspect of running. I feel like, <laughs> yeah. right. Like, like do yeah. what you need. Now I do think this almost, you know, this almost leads into a question, though, I'd assume that people are thinking in their heads, especially if you're a high school runner, um, because we've had the opportunity to work with a bunch of different coaches at the collegiate level and 
trainers and PT people and people who analyze your form and give you specific drills, that kind of thing. You don't always get that in high school. Um, and again, I, I feel like, yeah, I mean, I was fortunate in my high school coach, we had a set warm-up routine and everything. I think, you know, a lot of schools, you have a set warm-up routine. Um, there are a ton. So, I'd you know, I'd recommend like listening to your coach and, and following that. And uh, But there are also a ton of stuff a ton of videos, that kind of thing online of pros kind of giving their tips and routines for stretches, for warm-up drills. I've looked at a lot of them even in college, even at a place like Stanford, uh, when I've had problem areas in like glutes or hips or uh, plantar stuff, uh, any of that. I feel like even some of your teammates have dropped like kind of, you know, stretching routine or warm-up routine. Uh, so I would definitely also just, the internet's going to be your friend in that regard too. Now you don't want to overdo it with all that, but yeah, if if you feel like you can identify a particular area for yourself, you might not have the same access to like, you know, on-site like therapists or, or, or people who go over form analysis or strength coaches, but there's definitely still things you can kind of look into. And, and then it's really about how it feels for you than anything else. You know, like how do you respond to it? How do you feel like you respond to it and going from there? I don't know if you second all that. No, I totally agree. Um, resources are very variable. I, I have great resources as a pro athlete. I'm very thankful for it. Um, but that's not how it is for everybody. And, you know, my resources have changed as I've grown as a runner at different stages. Um, you know, you don't have full-time PTs working with you when you're in high school or most high schools. Maybe that was just my experience, but... Um, most high schools. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'd say most high schools, you're not going to have that. So, yeah, I mean, the internet's your friend. Um People are usually very willing to, to open up about, you know, what works for them. Um, right now, my collection of things that I do before a race or a workout, um, it's a collection of things that I've learned or been taught over the years. Um, you know, certain things are just pretty universal, like an A skip or a B skip. Um, so that's something that I picked up in high school that I still do. Um, other things are more fine-tuned just for me. I uh, just some activation stuff that I do now to get my hips moving right, get my calves moving correctly, um, things like that. So for me, it's pretty fluid. Um, and that's my experience. There is certainly a place for having a routine though as well and sticking to it. Um, just deriving confidence from, you know, if you keep your warm up routine the same before a workout as it is before a meet, it, it feels routine. It feels familiar. Um, you know, it works and there, there is something to that consistency. Um, personally, I guess this is probably more of just like, this is my personality. I usually don't lock onto things as much, um, like specific routines. And if I can't do the exact routine or, or whatever, like I'm usually fine with it. Um, like little things happen, you know, sometimes you're warming up and it's last call for your event and you're like, dang, I've only done two strides, but my routine is four strides, you know, you don't really have a choice at that point. You just kind of have to adapt and get on the track and race. So, um, yeah, I think it's a, it's a balance of familiarity and routine and comfort, um, and knowing what works for you with, uh, like a little bit of flexibility, um, not being totally like so dead set on this routine that if a deviation has to happen, that it results in a panic. Yeah, definitely. You want to be adaptable and malleable on the start line of a race because 
you've got to be, you know, you got to expect something's going to go wrong, uh, which kind of <laughs> did happen for some of the race participants, which we're going to get into. I, uh, so pre-meet, everything smooth. You, you, you race at like noon on Saturday. That's kind of a weird time, almost like college days, because sometimes <laughs> those meets would be at random times. So what did you, how did you prepare for that one? Like when did you wake up? When did you eat? That kind of thing. Yeah. Um, a bit of a weird time. Most of the races I've run recently have been at night. Um, I believe the reason it was around noon is because of the TV window. Um, the, the meet was on ESPN, so um, which was awesome. But you know, with that comes some constraints with TV and stuff. Um, so yeah, the race was at noon, a little unconventional. However, that's usually about when we're doing workouts up here and in Portland. Um, oftentimes we'll work out kind of late morning. So sometime starting the workout between 10.30 and noon or so. So my body was pretty like adjusted to it. And um, that's another reason to, you know, not be so like locked into how things have been or like, in my case, so locked into night races that it resulted in like, oh no, what am I going to, what am I going to do for this, you know, midday race? Mm-hmm. Um like, yeah, you just have to adapt. You don't really have a choice there. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's just funny too. Like everything about, you know, how runners tend to cling to those, uh, maybe at a more extreme level than you do, or I mean, just everyone wants to kind of stick to what they know. But when the especially when the race distance is changing significantly, like that's by far probably the biggest variable. You know, regardless of like when the race is or whatever, it's just the entire format of a fifteen hundred is going to be radically different. You'd think it would almost throw everything else off immediately you know like hey i'm gonna stick to my routine but yeah things are changing i'm running a different event first of all um so i feel like yeah you just kind of gotta go into it with a completely open mind on that front which it seems like you did um okay so where do you want where do you want to go from here what do you what do you want to what do you want to start with Uh, i feel like we've talked all uh, quite a bit about warm-up and stuff we should probably just dive into the race yeah all right so i mean Gun goes off and, and stuff goes down right away. You stayed out of it. You were kind of on, were you on the outside? I honestly, I forget, but I feel like you were kind of healthily out of that. But Mo and Eric Avila and Henry Wynn all got tangled up. Um, they get tangled up, what, like 30, 40, 50 meters down the track. No one calls it back, which was weird uh, at best and probably super frustrating for, for both those guys who kind of got elimed right there. Um, did you even see it? from your perspective, like, bef- like during? Yeah. So, um, I know I said we should probably talk about the race, but just right before the race, um, <laughs> they, they took us out onto the track and, you know, the 1500 meter start is a little different than most events. You start at the start of the straightaway rather than, you know, going into a curve, like most, most events on the track. Um, and they kind of held us on the start line for quite a while. Uh, one of the people, the officials there was saying it's, it was because of the TV stuff. Um, I, I would imagine they were on commercial or something at the time. Um, so we were kind of hanging around the start line, you know, everyone's antsy, ready to go. Um, and they lined us up maybe like 10 meters back from the line. And, you know, before a race, the starter will raise his gun and say, on your mark. And you kind of shuffle, walk up to the line and get set, uh, you know, behind the line and then they fire the gun and 
it was a very rapid transition from, you know, on your mark to the gun. So, so quick. So I don't think, so I think part of the the events that transpired were somewhat caused by just not being set on the line. Um, Mm -hmm. Like you mentioned, I had the highest hip number. I think I was like hip number 15 or something. So I was all the way to the outside, um, like on the outside of lane eight, essentially, almost on the concrete, uh, like on the edge of the track. So while it's not like a great spot because technically you have to run a further distance to like get back to lane one. Yeah, we've um, got to put that in the results too. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's a, you ran what, 1,505, 1,507 yeah. meters? Yeah, give me an asterisk. Um, <laughs> while, while it was a little like annoying because of that, I was able to avoid all the chaos that happened in the middle of, of the line. Um, and yeah, there are some, there are a ton of videos I saw of, of the tangle up, um, some like at regular speed, some in slow-mo, uh, at the time I just tried to get out and 50 meters in, I just heard this slap like down on the track and, you know, I knew someone fell. Um, but I kind of expected it to get called back, but like it is what it is. Um, like speculating, I think maybe a reason it wasn't called back could be for TV reasons. Um, if they were running a little behind or had a tight schedule, then maybe they didn't want to call it back. But, um, I got out decently well. I wasn't pumped with how I got out and I didn't realize that it was Mo that had fallen until I came around, uh, the first lap and saw Mo just kind of standing there. Mm. I was like, Oh man, (laughs) That was Mo that went down, and I didn't. I didn't see uh, Eric at the time, so I thought just Mo went down. I didn't even know that someone else went down. Um, but yeah, it was kind of wild. The the TV window being the reason for not calling it back is interesting to me. Like, I don't. It would take the starter to know pre race like this has got to happen. We're already behind. What like them holding you on the line for so long makes it seem like hey we're we're fitting it into a block you know like we're this is exactly what it needs to be, and that just seems weird. It could, I would I would imagine like you know the director of the entire like TV production of the event might be like yeah okay we we want this to keep going but does the starter know like it just feels like such a snap decision typically you know for a starter to call back a race like oh that happened really quickly you have to do it now or else it gets too far in and it just kind of the race just kind of continues. So I wonder if it was truly influenced by, I mean, maybe influenced, but I, I can't imagine that someone was like yelling down on the track, like keep it rolling. We, we got to <laughs> get this in too. You know, maybe there was influence there. Maybe they knew, Oh man, like we got to get all these events in before the end of our TV window. But I don't know. I mean, you, that would not happen at trials. I can't imagine they would, like if it was the final of, of, of the 15 at trials that they would let that roll and that's going to be on TV. Uh, I don't know. I, I wonder if like there really was an ESPN guy in a truck somewhere, like hope, you know, somehow making this keep going or, or if it was just kind of a bad call in the moment. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I would hope if that happened at the trials to, you know, the 1500 final, they'd call it back. Honestly, like watching the video, that was one of the most obvious callbacks I've ever seen, you know, 100%. in watching the sport. Um, and the, the TV window theory is pure speculation. Yeah. I have no idea. <laughs> um, just like a side, a side, like tidbit, I guess. Um, usually when meets are televised, 
there's the officials and then there's another guy with a headset that's talking to the broadcast TV people. And usually the the headset guy, uh, who would I would imagine works for like ESPN or NBC or whatever is televising the meet, will say, all right, guys, we got three and a half minutes. And, and they're very specific about it usually. Um, so you can kind of jump around or do your strides or whatever. And he'll give you the one minute countdown. And then he's like, all right, 30 seconds. And then the starter will take over and kind of be the head guy on the scene um, and direct everybody. Um, so yeah, I, I don't really know how it works, but usually, yeah, I, the starter wouldn't have like a headset talking to ESPN. It would be this other guy that's usually kind of coordinating all the TV timing stuff. Okay. No, that makes sense. I, I also agree with what you say though, about this being an obvious scenario to call back a race. Cause it was definitely in the first half of the first hundred and Mo fell for like an hour. <laughs> I, if you, if you watch the replay of that, like, like they all get tangled up and Mo falls for so long. And then obviously multiple people end up like falling. Um, I mean, it, it almost looks like Mo like tackles Eric, although I'm sure in the moment it's way like, it's not that, you know, like I, I've been in those situations of just like everyone putting their arms on each other, trying not to fall. Um, it just, you know, it obviously probably, it wasn't as like m- malicious as I'm sure like it could be interpreted. I don't know if, if you had a chance to talk to Mo about that. I'm sure he wasn't like trying to tackle anyone, but it should have been. I mean, I think the bigger thing is like race should have been called back. Like I don't, especially when multiple people go down um, and it shouldn't have really mattered. I guess that, 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 that was the exact nature of it. Yeah. So what, what was interesting about the start was, you know, it was a crowded field. There were 15 people on the line. Um, gun goes off. I don't think everyone is fully set yet. And I think everyone just kind of flung their arms out, you know, trying to, to establish position, get out right. Um, in a 1500, you're running so quick and things happen so quickly that positioning off the line is very important. Um, and I know I've said this in previous podcasts, but, you know, Centro is just so good at that. Getting out on the line staying out of trouble and getting into a great spot where he doesn't have to do any work or make any decisions and can kind of control the race from the front. And he did that, you know, he, he took us all to school in that race. Like he got in great position and did a great job and avoided all the chaos. Um, and one, one, one thing is like Mo's a 10 K guy. He's a small guy. Um, and he was lined up against milers who are much bigger guys in comparison um, if you look at all of us on the start line, you know, we look tiny, uh, like <laughs> all of the Bowerman guys, we look pretty small, uh, just like a height. Is Mo not taller? Maybe it's the fro or do you just mean built? Just built like Mo, Mo's tall, but he's, he's like thin. He's a 10 K guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, these guys have quite a bit of muscle on Mo. So, you know, a little contact is going to bounce Mo around a lot more than it would, uh, like a a big miler that, you know, is maybe used to more contact and stuff. So yeah, watching the video, you know, Mo kind of gets pinballed around. Um, you know, he's got his elbows out too. Like I, I'm for sure going to be team Mo in this situation and, and say like, you know, it's not necessarily Mo's fault. Um, but he had his elbows out too. Like, it's not like he just kind of was a victim here. Um, but everyone does have their elbows out you know yeah everyone's got their elbows out and mo is the lightest one in this line 
and is just getting bounced. Um, and, you know, recovers from the initial contact right off the line, it seems, gets a few good strides in, and then there's more contact. And he's clearly going down, and, you know, when you're going down, you just try to stay up by any means possible. And I think he reached out and grabbed Eric and Tough ended up move, going, yeah. taking both of them down. I mean, in slow motion, it looks like he horse collars him, like in football. Um, things are happening so fast in an actual race. You know, I I don't think he would try to intentionally... I mean, I know he wouldn't try to intentionally take someone out. Um, yeah. I mean, ideally, at the end of that thing, it should have been called back. But... Um, yeah, I've I've seen some funny memes about it too, but it was unfortunate, you know, like it cost two guys, you know, an opportunity to run fast and potentially get a standard. Um, it's a uh, yeah, it was unfortunate. Uh, luckily, both those guys were able to come back later in the meet and run. Uh, I think Eric paced a five, and uh, Mo raced a five, so they at least could salvage something. But you know, that's what happens, like when you're trying to get out and you're being physical, sometimes people go down. Yeah. I mean, and just especially that early on, you'd want it to get called back. I feel like that's where, I mean, I don't know. I feel like that would be where the majority of the blame would fall in the situation because yeah, even if like Mo and Eric both go down, it, it, it wouldn't matter if the it being 15 minutes into the race, if the race was called back, like it probably should have been, um, we would just have run it back. But, uh, yeah, I mean, onto, onto your race, I f- it felt so I mean the race itself felt like nothing really happened until about the bell I mean people started moving going onto the home stretch like 500 to go it seemed like but you and you also were kind of were you not locked into your the last now I, I I watched this race live and I watched it like right afterwards with the mo fall and everything but were you kind of like locked into your spot it felt like for most of that thing uh kind of in the upper half um you know, looking back, I wasn't super happy with how I raced. Um, I don't think I got out that well. Um, I was probably in the more like in the bottom half of the race uh, to start out, which is not ideal in a 1500. Um, it's just harder to pass people. It takes more energy than like a 10K or a 5K where, you know, you might, if you're running like 66s in a 5K, you can run like a 50, 65 point and get around a few people in a 1500. If you're running 58s, you kind of got to run a 57, uh, to get around, which that, that 50, 58 versus 57 feels like a lot different of a pace change than 65, five to 66. So, um, yeah, I, I feel like I had to use a bit of energy, just moving up the field. Um, I was talking to Mark and JT after, and they both felt the same way. None of us really got out super well and spent majority of the race moving up, trying to get into a good position. Whereas Centro got out really well and was already in a good position. So he was able to, you know, just lock into the pace. Um, so wasn't pumped with my start, but just wanted to, you know, move up. Um, yeah. Like, I think my start was a bit of a mistake. I, I would consider that a mistake, but um, just try not to make another mistake and make better decisions from there on out. And that was moving up. So, uh, moved up well, got to, uh, a decent position with a lap to go. Um, and we started moving a bit 
you know, obviously with a lap to go, that's just like a psychological place to surge for most people. So a little bit of a surge with a lap to go. Um, I believe Centro took the lead with 300 to go um, and started squeezing it down a little bit. And I felt pretty good in the pack, um, just trying to cover that, um, navigating a little traffic. And then uh, with about 150 to go, things got kind of jumbled up again. Uh, Centro made a hard move and started gapping the field. And the rest of us were kind of not like tied up with each other, but there were just a lot of bodies. Um, yeah, he, in this... got, he got clear. I mean, that's what he likes to do, it seems like, these last few years, like just kick from the front. Yeah. Because he's, yeah, and... he's already got clean air and then just goes. And yeah, I totally get what you're saying. It felt like everyone else was kind of kicking in mud and just he was already <laughs> completely clear of everyone. It was yeah. just super savvy. I mean, he ran probably the best of anyone too, but it was also just a super savvy technique to get free. Yeah, so yeah, he gets some daylight and uh we're in a big pack i mean like jt had to swing into like lane four mark was in almost lane five i stayed inside hoping that the inside would line up or or would open up and was able to kick down the inside which um is rather rare but i felt like a lot of times people flare out um over the final hundred just kind of naturally and then also to kind of push out people that are trying to pass them Um, so knowing that I was able to, to go inside and, and have a pretty good kick for home. Um, so I was happy with how I closed and everything. Um, and it was a good reminder of what racing is. Uh, my past few races have been rabbited and been majority Bowerman people. Um, and that's just a different environment than what this race was. Like clearly from the gun, this was a physical, you know, battle with a lot of guys out there, um, all trying to run fast. Whereas there were times, you know, uh, a couple months ago when I would race, it was single file and everyone was on the same page. Like, Hey, let's just lock in. Don't fight each other. Don't pass. Uh, we'll race at the end, obviously, but during the middle stretches of the race, uh, let's just all try to conserve energy. It's in our best interest. Uh, so this was really good um, for me, at least. I, I was really happy with it. Um, yeah. And I think pretty much everyone, uh, the Bowerman guys in that 15, everyone came away pretty happy, I think. Yeah, I mean, 55-0 last lap to run 336-5 overall, just to get that on the podcast record um, for fourth <laughs> place. Yeah, I mean, it definitely, that pass up the inside was cool. It's interesting. I wonder... You can't mirror the situation. You can't say, okay, so if this was at the trials in your actual event. But I feel like even the way you described it, it kind of described it as like a prospecting type move. Like, well, yeah, maybe this will free up down the inside and I'll get in. I mean, at a certain point with 100, 150 to go, you probably can't swing into lane four or five if you're already on the rail. But it also feels like you wouldn't normally kind of, you might not normally risk it if winning, I mean, not that you conceded anything but if it was like hey i've got to make sure i have the space to be top three do you think you could have seen yourself staying on the rail either way i mean i guess it's hard to tell when this type of race it's hard to put yourself in that situation what you would do at trials but i feel like the inside move is risky and it does often open up when people flare out would you be able to commit to that if it was like a trials type race though uh it'd be harder to make that decision because you know this was a pretty low stakes beat for us. Um, 
you know, I, I have the standard in the events that I could potentially do at the trials. Um, everyone on Bowerman had the standard in whatever event they wanted to do the trials. So we didn't really need to accomplish anything huge in this race. This was kind of just practice racing, like rubbing shoulders with everybody again. Um, so it was a lower stakes affair. You know, sometimes the inside doesn't open up. I very well could have just been trapped there and gotten, you know, eighth. It's a risk. Um, if the person in front of you doesn't flare out, you've got nowhere to go. You can't go inside of the line because you'll get DQ'd. You're probably boxed in. You can't go outside. Um, so it's a risky move. Um, it worked out for me, but it's not something you can rely on every single time for sure. Exactly. And if they yeah. die, if the person in front of you just starts fading hard. I mean, yeah. you really get shut in there. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it seems tough to... But then again, like you see at so many championship level races, the inside does open up because people flare way out, especially in a 15, you can almost bank on it. I mean, you know, if people are out in lane five then whoever's in the lead or in the lead of that second group or whatever in this scenario is probably going to feel that presence way more than they feel the inside and likely kind of move out to block. But you don't, I mean, like, like you said, like that's not something you can count on where if you go into lane four or go into lane five, you know, you're going to see the finish line clean. It's just obviously more steps to get there. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, yeah. Another factor was I was a little boxed, uh, on that corner coming in. Um, just, I had guys surrounding me kind of, so the inside was kind of my best decision. I feel like there, um, your only decision, right? You can't swing. If you're, if you are boxed in going into like the straight and you're, and you're, you're on the inside rail, like you probably can't get out like to that lane four or lane five thing without just I mean, you're just not going in a straight line at that point. Yeah. You know, yeah. you got to like make a right turn and, and you can't do that. So you, it seems like you kind of had to commit to that. That's why I'm saying like, even at trials, like if that was somehow your position, which ideally you're already well in front of everyone else, but <laughs> if that's somehow your position going, like you kind of can't change it. It just seems like a risky thing. Yeah. I mean, th these are split second decisions that you're making. You got to make them quick and you can't wait around too long to make them either. You know, if you're weighing all the options going through every scenario with a hundred to go, like you're going to miss the opportunity and then you're going to have no options. Um, yeah, you can't be weighing the options, I guess that's very true. Yeah. Yeah. So you kind of just got to take what's in front of you and make a quick decision and commit to it. Um, yeah, it, I, I think it worked out well. I was really happy. Um, 336 is my PR. So I was pretty much right on it. Um, a nice Sub four just, pace for, for a mile. So yes, you, you might find it. <laughs> yeah, maybe if I hop in a mile, days. I can break that PR. But maybe. Um, but yeah, good good foray back into the the racing scene and a nice close. Um, obviously, this wasn't the focus of the season, but it's just a nice way to get the legs turning again, get the wheels going, and um, yeah, it was it was fun. I, I think I think it was a, a good result. Um, got some things that I can learn a bit. Uh, just as far as tactics and stuff, um, but it was good. Nice. Did you get to do anything fun and all that? <laughs> um, nothing wild. Uh, these trips are usually pretty quick. Uh, we were so we flew in 5 p.m. on a Thursday, did pre-meet on Friday, and then uh, flew back at 5 p.m. on Saturday, just because we had a morning race. So uh, raced and flew out that afternoon pretty much um yeah so you, you know you're not really like sightseeing you're not like going out and doing stuff like we we walk 
you like you might walk over to the beach or something um like some of the guys got haircuts um right when we were leaving to the airport uh on saturday there was a car accident right outside of our hotel and we were like the first people on the scene which was kind of wild um oh man like pulling the people out of the car with the airbags and stuff it was kind of crazy nobody was hurt but it was that was kind of wild i've never been that close to a car accident responder grant yeah yeah it was it was pretty wild um but yeah everyone was okay which was great um and then we headed off to the airport. So th- these trips go by really quick. Um, you drop down, you want to eat, get to sleep, do free meat the next day, you know, chill, conserve energy. Uh, in this case, we raced in the morning and then flew out that afternoon. So yeah, it's pretty rapid fire. I caused a car accident once while I was running. Uh, well, I, I didn't cause it. So the, the people in the cars caused it, but we had we were running through an intersection where we had the right of way, and we were kind of running like parallel to the the traffic that had the green light. So like the light turned green for these guys, and we're kind of running towards them, but off to the side. So the first car in line is making a right turn, like into where basically we'd be running. But he sees us, so he's like waiting. But the light turns green, and the person behind him just like stepped on the gas and like rear-ended him, <laughs> while the guy was waiting for us just kind yeah, of yeah. go through the intersection. And we just heard the like it wasn't like that loud because it was from a stop and it was stuck you know there wasn't that much action it was fortunately everyone was totally fine but yeah that just kind of happened i was running with my high school teammate and i was just like oh man do we just and he was like keep running and i was like okay oh you didn't stop (laughs) Uh, well no but also we weren't like i don't know it's not like we were we definitely were the reason that this happened but at the same time like the two cars on the road collided and the guy it, it was a green light but the guy who had his indicator on it was stopped the car behind them was completely at fault for that you gotta just you can't step on the gas when the other car is stopped at the at the light. Everyone, even if it's green, you, right. you gotta at yeah, least yeah. honk or something. Um, if you don't see us, but yeah, that was that was the closest I've been, I guess, to a car accident. But everyone was like, if my mom's listening to this, which she definitely is, everyone, you know, like the cars were stopped. It wasn't they couldn't have accelerated that much to even yeah. hurt us if it had been a scenario. But yeah, and just the noise was like weird. It was like. Yeah, the ours was so loud. Um, was it fast? It, it was a head-on collision, so it was oh pretty aggressive. Um, the cars were pretty smashed up um, on the hood, and yeah, like I said, the airbag was off and stuff. And the one of the the women that we pulled out of the car was pretty rattled, um, kind of in shock. But so. everyone was okay. Everyone was okay. Um, okay. Yeah, but like the cops came and stuff, and had to sort everything out. So, um, so that was interesting. That. Yeah, that was kind of a wild experience there. It's kind of like that time you were in a bus fire and then went and ran like an NCA lead in the DMR the same night. <laughs> I wasn't actually in the fire. I, I know I, you weren't in the fire. Yeah. That was just, I was in the fire. Yeah, you were um, in the fire. And yeah, we were flying into Seattle and the DMR had gone out the day before, which Grant was on. Um, and so we were on the bus going into the city, like from the airport, and we hear a loud bang. Uh, but we hadn't hit anything. Just one of the wheel cases or whatever had like given out. And I don't know if it was like the fact that we drove on it for like a bit or whatever, but like we're pulled off on the side of the road and we just start smelling like, you know, what is smoke. But at the time we just thought it was kind of a burning smell and we couldn't tell if it was just, oh, like, you know, the, the wheel was just really hot because it had popped or whatever. And then uh, the bus was a really ratchet like bus. I don't know why that was the one that we <laughs> we had, but you could like you typically like bus windows you can't like push out at all or like really open you could like 
put your head against some of them and they would like pop out a little bit and you could see like straight down, which was like really ratchet. So we're sitting on the butt. We're in the back of the bus, like my grade and I, and I'll never forget. Cause DJ just like, he's on the side off the road where the, the tire popped and just pokes his head out the window, um, like up against the window and looks down. He's like, uh, yeah, the bus is on fire. Cause at that point we were all just kind of <laughs> sitting there and even the bus driver was just sitting there in the front of the bus. No one had done anything. It had been like three or four minutes. Yeah, we started to see the smoke, so he poked his head out, and he was like, oh, the bus is on fire, and then everyone just starts going off, and I'm in the back of the bus, I don't know how buses work, I don't know if it's going to hit a gas tank, I'm like, I might, I might not get off this bus, so we do, and we, we stand in the, on the side of the highway for like a couple hours, the helicopter, everyone is super excited, because you know, I mean, those near-death experiences, like, or however near to death, like, your perspective shifts for a couple hours, you're definitely kind of on one. Um, I just, and then we eventually got picked up by a different bus, which was also kind of like, are, are we sure this one's going to be fine? But it was, <laughs> and we got to the meet and then that night y'all were racing a DMR and everyone thought you had been in the bus fire and we're like, oh man, underdog story, like true, true <laughs> champion to stay composed in the race. And we yeah. were, it was fine. It was just so much funny. adversity. Yeah. yeah it just <laughs> overcame these Stanford kids. They lost all their gear in the bus fire. Cause all of our, all of our stuff was burned. Um, we got to save some, but it smelled so bad, man. That was tough. Um, yeah, and it was just like, oh man, Grant Fisher, he's he's overcome it again. <laughs> yeah, no, but it, it was all that was the same meet that I think Alex Osberg broke for for the first time. So, and he was in the bus fire. So, um, yeah, heck of there's some automobile stories. I feel like they just kind of happened with travel and college. Yeah, man. I mean, yeah, driving can be dangerous. Uh, I mean most of the time everything's good but yeah sometimes when you like are close up to stuff like that it really kind of shifts how you just approach everything or like yeah we were driving to the airport um and centro was driving and we were driving very cautious just like looking around you know making sure you know looking suspiciously at every car um yep. which you know we were in la la drivers are different than portland drivers <laughs> uh they're a little more aggressive so it's a uh, it was a bit of a perspective shift for sure, um, but yeah, I was happy everyone was okay and yeah, flew back up and uh, long run the next day and we're back in routine up here. Yeah, that's the nice thing about a fifteen. You can hit that long run the next day and not feel bad about it, like about potentially overworking. It seems like um, like did you work out uh, Tuesday? Yeah, I had a I had like a full workout Tuesday. So um, essentially, that race replaced like a speed day. Um, mm-hmm a speed workout day. Not that we treat it as, as a workout. Like we didn't do that by any means, but it, as like, as far as a big picture idea that would replace like a speed day. Um, it was just like an extended, very aggressive speed day in the form of a race. <laughs> yeah. One by 1500 race pace. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so you were telling me right before we went on that you might be racing again in, in about 10 days or so. Yeah. Um, Portland Track Fest is in about 10 days. Uh, it'll be next weekend, which is uh, the, the last weekend in May. Um, so I'm entered in the, the 15 and the 5. Not sure which one I'll do yet. Uh, there was talk about a 3K happening, which uh, would have been super fun. I don't know what's going to happen there, uh, if that'll happen or not. But majority of the Bowerman team will race down in Portland. Uh, so it'll be fun. Um, be interesting to, to fly back into Portland, stay in my place for a night or two. Um, and then, and then we're back to park city, but, uh, should be good. Um, 
think it'll be quite good races. Um, I know there are people that are still looking for Olympic standards, Olympic trial standards. So I would imagine there's going to be a lot of people there looking to run hard and fast. So it'll be another good experience just being in a field, um, trying to race aggressively, just hone those tactics a bit more. No, it sounds like it'll be, it'll be awesome. Um, uh, to everyone listening, I know that we dropped the second half of the Mo interview on Sunday, so hopefully people have listened to that. That was the one that I feel like was much more about Mo and Grant uh, and Lopez uh, in their <laughs> in their early quarantine adventures in, in the the Big Blue workout group or whatever it was. Um, I don't know if there's anything that reflecting on that. I mean, you remember the interview. Just that was such a cool. Just for people who maybe haven't listened yet. Uh, or if people have listened and want kind of like extra insight, that was such a cool little experience. Uh, something that was awesome that you guys could share. Um, I don't know. I feel like that just, it continues to have impacts on your racing now. It seems like just, uh, with, with what you learned from that. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you guys haven't listened to that, check it out. It, I had a great time recording it with Mo. Um, a lot of good banter and, uh, a lot of like fun stories that we tell of just hard workouts just me, him, and Lopez during quarantine of uh, 2020. Um, when COVID first hit, our team kind of broke off into little groups uh, just to limit our exposure to each other. And uh, we also broke off from Jerry showing up to workouts because we were all working out at different tracks and at different places. So uh, it was literally just me, Mo, and Lopez. Uh, I was fresh out of college and I was with two very experienced vets in the sport and they took me under their wing and taught me a lot of things. So, um, the check out the, the, the second half, if, if you want to hear about that, the first half is a lot touching on Mo's history, like getting into running, how he has grown in the sport, um, his experience at different championships and, uh, his most recent medal at the world championships. The second half is more, more story time, <laughs> more, <laughs> more like, the, the, I'd say the first the first half is like before I joined the team, um, and then the second half is kind of like my experiences with Mo since I've joined the team. Um, yeah, so kind of cool that we recorded that. Um, if if you think if you think Mo's at fault for this fall or like think he's a bad guy, listen to the podcast. He, Mo's a great guy. Um, I don't think anything with that fall was intentional. So if you yeah, if you want to hear about how great Mo is, I hype him up quite a bit. <laughs> but uh, yeah, definitely check it out. That was a fun one to record. I was gonna say we're gonna need a part three, uh, just in the <laughs> last couple of weeks, and maybe yeah, probably... maybe a little debrief. Yeah. Well, because we talked about it last time, it's like, oh man, like he had like a maybe a rough opener for him, and was really excited to get another shot at a fifteen, and then like this one happens, he's probably pissed. He's probably punching the air a little bit. <laughs> like, oh, I want, I want to get a good one in. Um. But I'm sure, you know, he'll have this opportunity, I'm sure, at Portland as well. Uh, yeah, yeah, so I mean, the, the tangle up was unfortunate. Um, you know, uh, Mo and Erica Vila were, like, cooling down together after the meet and stuff. So I don't think there's bad blood or anything there. Um, I, I think stuff just happens. They just got tangled up. Um, and, yeah, it, I, I don't want to, like, speak for Mo or Eric here, but I, I feel like that's racing sometimes yeah a tough a tough outcome but hey a solid one in the bank for you um with the fourth place and the 336 gotta be gotta be feeling satisfied with that i feel like moving i mean there's always stuff we can do to improve but 
got to be a satisfying start uh, in kind of an off event. So, yeah, is there anything else that we need to talk about? Is there anything else that we got to summarize? Uh, I don't. I don't think so. Um, Maybe not running related. Yeah. Did you see the uh, the playing tournament began in the NBA? Yes, I, don't I know saw if that. Happened to catch your eye? I don't know. I was getting some texts from our our now ex trainer Josh Freeman. Uh, I don't know if you even know that yet, but uh, yeah, big Pacers that. fan Josh. Uh, as the Hornets got blown out by thirty in their one game playoff for their entire season, uh, which was disappointing. For sure, we haven't talked basketball in a couple of weeks, but that one, that one definitely breaks that that norm. Just because if you lose by like thirty or twenty five or whatever it was in the playoff, in like a one game playoff, that is a tough way to open up this entire <laughs> little tournament thing the NBA has got going on. I I honestly feel like like MJ sent a message to the team beforehand saying, "Hey, you need to tank on purpose because we want a lottery <laughs> pick. Uh, we don't want to go to the playoffs and lose in four games." So, I I don't know. I don't. That was demoralizing to watch yesterday. You're lucky yeah. the Pistons dodged it by sucking so bad the whole time. Yeah, the Pistons success, successfully dodged. Um, you know, we we got those those draft picks on lock. Hopefully, are you um, the are you the top odds for the one seed? Then do you have the worst record? Uh, I don't think it's the worst record. I think we might be second worst. Let me see if you're the worst. You're the worst in the East. I'll tell you that much. Um, yeah, you're the second worst though. The the yeah. Rockets completely tanked better than you yeah yeah they did a better job yeah i mean pistons are always or not always but historically quite bad at drafting so i'm still nervous you know <laughs> i could oh, see we'll the pistons see could have the get. one seed and just to- or the the first pick and just totally blow it uh i, I could see that but yeah still still trying to trying to cheer for them yeah you got to support i mean and it sucks because like the wings are bad too while the Hurricanes are the number one seed in in the East and Central yeah, divisions of the playoffs, it is what it so. is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just it's a tough it's a tough time to be a Detroit, Michigan, that whole area sports fan. It seems yeah. like. Um, yeah. We're bringing it up on the running side, though. Don't worry. Trying. We with, with Grant <laughs> single handedly. This is for you, Michigan. Yeah. Oh yeah, gotta, Mich- Michigan's finish. been doing pretty well so far. I mean, Donovan obviously is very oh, accomplished. Sure. Uh, you got Hobbs Kessler running very very well. Um, yeah. Yeah, shout out Michigan. That's a good point. That was an oversight. I mean, like, if, you know, <laughs> running seems to be the thing carrying Michigan sports right now, which... We're, uh, we're doing our best, you know. The yeah, mainstream might sport not of running. Yeah. <laughs> Breaking through. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, hopefully, like we were saying, everyone enjoyed that interview thing. Uh, I've been enjoying the race recaps that we also put out. Uh, we did 2013 Foot Locker. Yeah, let us know suggestions for both people we should interview and future race recaps that you guys want to see because uh we'll definitely love to keep diving into those yeah sounds good all right well on that note man uh thank you for everyone thank you to everyone for listening to their episode and uh, we will catch you next time on the half step pod yeah thanks guys see you